Welcome back to the Office Marketing Podcast with Mike Swigert. The podcast all about sales tips, mindset, and value bombs. Five questions to help make your day more productive and learn a thing or two. Here is your host, best-selling author, Mike Swigert. Hey, everybody. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to the Office Marketing Podcast. I've got a very timely, very, very, very timely guest today. It's Jeremy Kovacs. He comes from Camco Supply Corporation. They are one of the largest uh, commercial and residential uh, suppliers of building materials in the country, primarily in the Northeast. But I'll tell you what, I'm really fascinated to have Jeremy on. Not only we're going to talk about you know him and his journey, but we're going to kind of find out you know what's going on in the world of of building supply today. So, uh, Jeremy, thanks for taking time out of your day to share your insights. Thank you, Mike. Well, hey, why don't you go ahead and start out? Tell us a little bit something uh, about you, and then uh, let us know when two by fours are going to come back to a uh, come back to earth when it comes to their actual costs. Go ahead, Jeremy. Yeah, no, I mean uh, everyone's asking that question. I mean, I get that question multiple times a day. You know, it's two by fours, it's uh, plywood, it's insulation, but um, yeah, no, basically, like you said, it we're really large, mainly in the Northeast. Uh, my company, you know, where we're based out of, I'm based out of Brooklyn, New York. Uh, I cover all of Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. So we ship to all five boroughs, including upwards to Westchester. We also have a branch in New Jersey. So, you know, population wise alone, that controls a large sector of building. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're mainly focused on commercial, but we do residential as well, because obviously everything's built with the same type of stuff. You know, you can't build a residential high rise in New York without using steel studs. Um, you know, obviously there's commercial on the, on the bottom floor, so they kind of mix. Most of them are mixed units. So we, we deal with a lot of major projects, especially like Hudson Yards, it's still being developed. Um, you know, downtown Brooklyn, which they're just building on top of each other at this point. Um, you know, so it's, it's interesting seeing a lot of things turn, especially with, you know, Amazon trying to get into Long Island City seeing the reaction from that. How many hey, we're gonna, hey, Jeremy, we're going to stay not political. No mention of <laughs> yeah. when it comes to Amazon. No, right? no, yeah, no. We're, uh, we're very right down the middle on this show. That's what we do. Hey, I will tell you, I was in New York City. Um, my oldest daughter's real uh, big fan of musical theater. So we'd go up to the city a lot. Mm -hmm. And um, we walked across the Brooklyn Bridge. And I remember the entire time I'm walking across the bridge with my family thinking, Oh my gosh, Brooklyn is quite a metropolis. Like it, counting, it was you're counting the cranes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. There must have been 20 cranes, Jeremy. Like, mm -hmm. all right. So keep on going. Tell us more about you too, Jeremy. Yeah, no. So I mean, like, you know, we we had a chance to discuss during, before the podcast, but uh, you know, I come from just middle, uh, you know, kind of middle of the road. We were uh my mom was a bartender, my dad was a contractor. And, uh, you know, he owned his own contracting business and he went on to, my parents divorced at a very young age. So I live with my mom primarily. She was a bartender. Then she worked for a moving company for a majority of the years. And my dad had his own contracting business and then moved into uh, sales for a really large uh, ceiling manufacturer, which did very close business with Campco. And then um, sort of right before the recession, they hired him to come on board and run a division within Campco. So um, he went in, ran that division. They ended up closing that division and then making him in charge of Brooklyn, mainly Brooklyn operations and everything like that. And so then I was in high school 
you know, I wasn't really the, the best scholar. I didn't really follow all the rules. I kind of just, uh, you know, did what I wanted. And I got into a little bit of trouble doing that. So when I was about 15 years old, uh, you know, I got in a little bit too much trouble. So they were like, my dad goes, you know, you're going to come work in the warehouse. And uh, which means, you know, in Brooklyn, we have a really large establishment there. We, our warehouse, he actually painted the roof red. So you can actually see it from space. It's so big. It's like a football and a football field and a half long. Nice. So that meant, you know, summer filled with, filled with, you know, taking cement bags over my shoulder, loading them onto pallets, helping out customers, doing this and that. And, uh, but, you know, I made a pretty good, you know, I earned a pretty good amount during that summer. And I was just like, oh, you know, it's a good workout. It's nice working outside and uh, making a little bit of money. You know, I was making more than any of my friends were making. But by the uh, way, Jeremy, this is what I, I, one, you know, I'm a huge fan of yours. We, we, we click immediately, but you, you had two choices at 15. You could have either gone down the life of crime, which in New York City and Hoboken, New Jersey, and plenty of options, or your dad could say, hey, cut the crap and haul cement bags for a summer, which, yeah. which I, I like your dad too. Like what a, what a great, what a great gift he gave you that summer. Yeah. If you know my dad though, it's like, there was no option. He was like, <laughs> you're gonna come. he goes, you're going to come, you're going to work. Um, you know, you're going to make a pretty, and honestly, uh, you know, I got in so much trouble that my mom said no more and shipped me off to live with him. And I was living in Edison at the time. And then I lived in uh, summit with him. So, you know, I would, uh, I went to summit high school. I had to transfer high schools, uh, you know, every single summer I'd wake up 4am cause he never sleeps. Uh, you know, he'd wake up and then he'd wake me up at 4am, drag me to Brooklyn. And I was at my, I had my permit at the time. So it was like, I'd work all day in the warehouse, sweat my ass off. And then, uh, I'd have to drive him home. So it was like, not only was I, you know, working all day in the warehouse and, uh, I'd have to also chauffeur him home. So it was like, you know, sort of a learning experience, but yeah, no, it definitely benefited me greatly because it gave me a little bit of structure. I wasn't out running around with my friends in the summer doing whatever, you know, so it, de it definitely offered me a lot of insight into, you know, what earning money is, you know, I'd get my paycheck at the end of the week and he'd be like, you know, you made this much money. Let's keep this, put it in a savings account. And I was like, okay, you know, whatever, I'll have a savings account. And then, you know, when I go back to school during the year, I'd have a little bit of money to spend. So it was, you know, learning experience. It's definitely a learning experience. That's great. So how, so how did you end up, you had a little stop off in college, right? Mm -hmm. Spent a little time in Stockton uh -huh. and then you're, you're looking for a job. So talk, yeah, well, I actually, even in Stockton, I still would come home. Like I didn't have a summer from that point on. Like when I was, when I turned 16, I didn't have a summer until I haven't had a summer, you know, without working. So I basically, even in college, come home and still work all summer. And after a certain uh, time, you know, in college, I was like, okay, you know, I'm in college now, you know, I'm over 18. They could put me on the books, you know, they're not paying me under the counter. So it's like, I want to do something that's legitimate. So uh, with so much inventory, we have cycle inventory counters that, you know, constantly, you know, checking the turnover rate and checking in inventory, seeing how much we have, seeing the checking the discrepancies, all that stuff. And honestly, it's monotonous. Um, 
you know, you're going around counting pieces of lumber and pieces of steel and pieces of sheetrock. It's, you know, it's, it's a lot. So I'm sure, but here's the thing is I find this terribly fascinating and I'm sure some people listening are going, this sounds great. And the other half are going, yeah. Can you get to the point where you tell me when two by fours are getting cheap again? You know, (laughs) the problem is, it's like, you know, you would count it like, yeah, counting's not hard. Right. But it's like, you know, you'd go and check it. And as you were walking in, a trailer full of stuff came in and they checked it. So your counts would be off by like 10,000. They're like, dude, what the hell? I'd be like, well, all right, something had to have happened. I had to go back out and check it. And then by the time I'm done with that, it's like three o'clock. And now they're starting to pull stuff for deliveries. And I'm like, all right, now it's just, but yeah. And so after a while of that, it's just got so, you know, I was like, I want to do something worth, you know, my brain power. And, uh, you know, they were like, why don't you try sales? And so I went and sat down at the desk and I learned our computer system and I started to pick up the phone and get yelled at by contractors. Like, I need this, I need that. And, you know, really sort of started taking a liking to, you know, sort of. Jeremy, you're, you're, um, your parents literally are like the perfect combo to prepare you for the construction world. Yeah. You know, mom, bartender, and moving experience, dad contractor. Yeah. You learned how to negotiate. You watched them kind of negotiate how to deal with you through high school. It's yeah. kind of cool. Like you literally have the DNA to be exactly where you are right now, brother. Keep, keep going. Yeah, no, that's what, I mean, that's what I was told. It was, uh, so I was in sales for a while. And so then basically all throughout college, I did sales. So I would be typing tickets, typing quotes. And then, you know, after the first summer, I was typing as much, if not more than most of my colleagues. And I was only 19 years old. So it was like, you know, I had fast fingers. I was able to talk on the phone, get them off the phone really quickly, get the orders in, get the deliveries out efficiently. And, uh, you know, it really helped them out because we had one guy go out with a knee surgery, another guy go out with a hernia surgery. So it was like, they needed the help. And so when I came in there and I kind of filled that hole, they were like really appreciative of what I did, even though I was, you know, doing it for probably a lot less than what other people were doing it for. Cause I was only doing it for a summer right. and, and like, you know, my winter break when I'd come back, but, uh, yeah, no, I filled, I filled a void that they desperately needed. And it was, uh, it was pretty good, good deal that we had worked out. Yeah. So now you're, but now you're in outside sales. So how'd you get now, into outside? So um, after college, I started as an inside salesperson and I did that for, you know, about a year and a half or so. And it, again, you know, it started to become a little monotonous. It's like, you know, I'm just sitting there typing tickets and talking to guys who don't really know what they need. It's like, Whenever I had the chance to talk to, you know, in, in construction, there's not a lot of presidents, there's principals, there's directors. And so when you would talk to people like that, or, or, you know, senior manager in charge of purchasing, something like that, they have a lot of weird titles. There's no real, like, you know, structure wise with those. But when I got a chance to talk to people like that, it was like, oh, thank God. It's like, there's somebody knows what they need. And it's like, you know, a very refreshing conversation. It's easy to pitch. Because, you know, as an inside salesperson, I didn't get really too many opportunities to pitch because it was basically, you're just taking orders. You know, it's like, you know, take my order and shut up. And I didn't really like it. And so, you know, when I got a chance and they actually needed an outside salesperson in the territory because the other one got promoted and um, they didn't really have too many people covering Queens. And so they said, all right, you know, a couple of days a week, we'll send you out. See how you do. And I loved it. 
you know, kind of going out there, making my own schedule, um, talking to people that I wanted to talk to, as opposed to just dealing with people who needed one thing and not, nothing else. Um, it was, it, you know, it was a challenge and it used more brain power yeah. than, uh, you know, than I was used to. And it, it was really nice. It was refreshing. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, they brought me on full time now about a year and a few months ago. So what a fascinating time to come into Jeremy. Like it's a crazy time. I got promoted. Um, I literally, this, this is the time frame. I got promoted. I went uh, to Montana on vacation with my two friends. I was at the Javits Center for a New York Village show, 20,000 people, early March. Next week, full lockdown. Full yeah. but lockdown. But were the, was it different in different areas as far as what was necessary or what was deemed uh, allowed to keep moving forward? Like where was construction in that? So at first it was a knee jerk reaction. So they just shut down everything and, you know, <laughs> construction basically runs New York city. It's like the developers, the developers got de Blasio in their back pocket. It's like, you know, our projects need to keep going. You can't rip our men off the floor. Like, you know, construction is relatively spaced out to begin with. I mean, aside from the elevators, you know, you got to keep it going. It's like, you can't have this shut down, especially with just residential home building. The guys in Staten Island, it's like they only have like three people in a, you know, two family house. It's like, you know, they're just framing walls, painting, doing trim. It's like not really that big of an issue. So they, uh, they use their negotiating tactics to kind of have them open up at a certain rate. It wasn't a full rate. I remember a guy telling me, he was like, yeah, no, I just went in there one day to uh, fix the electric by myself. He was not even anyway. So he goes, if I got shocked, they wouldn't have found me for a month. And uh, he was like, I just went in there to fix electric. And there was a guy waiting outside saying, hey, you don't have anybody else in there, do you? And he was like, no, it's just me. He goes, well, if you do, it's like a $10,000 fine or something. And he goes, well, he goes, do you want to wait out here until I get out? He goes, yeah. And so that guy waited out there for four hours until he left and locked the gate. Wow. Okay, what month is that? Is that like right at the early part of the shutdown? Was that yeah, was it was like April. Early? Yeah, it was like April. Okay. So... All right. So when did it start to loosen up a little bit? When did you guys be able to start being able to do your, uh, you know, commercial construction? And the I think they opened up fully like June 6th, June okay. 4th. So I had, I, I, you know, was living in, I was living here in Hoboken and uh, I was working from home because we weren't allowed to go anywhere. And so I was just making phone calls at the phone call, um, you know, just seeing what the status was of everybody. It was really, you know, some days it was quiet, some days, I'd be able to get more phone calls in than I uh, anticipated, which was good. But then it just, you know, it got worse and worse. And so I went down to my, my dad's house and uh, it was me, my sister, and my dad. We just stayed in the same house for 40 days and just kind of isolated ourselves. We worked from home um, and just making phone calls, just, you know, not really taking any, not really taking many, but people were still bidding jobs, which was good, but, mm -hmm. uh, nobody was calling in orders or anything like that. So yeah. When did that, so talk to me through the orders kind of freezing and now it, it, just the timestamp this it's May, 2021. So we're, you know, 15 months after the beginning of the lockdowns approximately and mm -hmm. um, or 14 months after the beginning of the lockdowns. So where, when did it start to pick up? When did, when did people start putting in orders or, or, 
please tell me it's happening. I'll tell you, I can actually tell you that with uh, actual numbers. Okay, uh, we, thanks, uh, Jeremy. Yeah, we have a uh, sales, we have a sales uh, program that tracks our sales, you know, all throughout the, uh, and we can calculate the variance from the last year. And, you know, you'd want, you'd want your variance to obviously be positive and you'd want it to be in a pretty good range, like 30%, 40%, like that's really good. 30, uh, you know, 40% variance over the year, but, uh, you know, you see the, the dip in, so my variance in March previously, it was over 60%. So that was a huge jump. Like I went down probably 30% on my book to now 60% variance as opposed to last year. Okay. So was March of 21, your first kind of comeback yeah. month? Was that the first one you're like, all right, cool. Now we're getting, we're actually shipping stuff. March of 21, April of 21. Cause April was our worst month last year. Okay. Cause that was when all the lockdowns really took effect. Yeah. Um, but I maximize it. Here you go. Um, but April was our worst month. Now April this year was our, my best. So it was like, it was a good, it was a good, uh, it was a good bounce back. It definitely how's was. How's April compared, not to get too personal, but like, how does April compare in general to like a month in 2019? Like, can you give me an idea where we are there? Is it still not back or are you, are you above 2019 numbers? So I'd say, you know, in order to, in what we were doing before we were constantly busting through ceilings, you know, we were having, we were having record years. We were doing really well. And, um, you know, I only got to sit on, I only got to sit in on, you know, those outside meetings for a short while before I got put in full time. So I was constantly seeing like, Hey, we're doing great. This and that, you know, business is great. Uh, let's keep going. Let's keep, you know, doing this. And then, you know, you don't really fully recover because obviously there's a lot of projects that are still on hold, especially I have a NYCHA project that I've been trying to work out with a customer that's been getting negotiated now. It was supposed to start in October but because of everything that happened over the last year, it's still being negotiated because of all the pricing and, um, you know, obviously lack of labor, um, stuff like that. So I think, you know, the material costs are sort of offsetting it because, you know, with higher material costs, obviously more in revenue. But I think the business is just still sort of recovering. Okay. All right. So, well, hey, you're giving me a segue that I know um yeah, like, i'm really yeah. like i don't know the answer to the question i'm about to ask you like i kind of have an idea i've got some you know gc buddies but i'm so glad to have you on the supply side mm -hmm. jeremy in three minutes or less kind of tell us you know why are we and, and if you don't know if you're listening to this in general building product costs have gone up one of the biggest jumps ever, right? So yeah. can you talk us to like kind of how much they are up, which materials kind of are up and why? What's going on, Jeremy? Yeah, so um, right now we're seeing large increases across the board. And when I say across the board, that means everywhere from steel, lumber, sheetrock to insulation, plywood, and, um, you know, just basic GC necessities. And so Originally, it started with lumber because um, mills shut down and also there weren't enough people to, you know, the loggers went home. So there wasn't anybody really chopping down trees and we had forest fires. We had hurricanes. 
it was just a, you know, if you look at 2020 as a whole, it was just catastrophe after catastrophe. And it really affected the supply chain when it came to lumber, especially because lumber is basically shipped through trains. Um, so when those get disrupted, large backlogs fill up. And especially with the home building that followed after the pandemic, I mean, it was just, it was unexplainable. The home building exploded and the mills could not keep up with the demand. Eventually the log, I mean, they had enough trees to kind of supplement, um, you know, the raw material for the mills to supply, but the mills couldn't, you know, they didn't have enough people working at the mill to begin with. A lot of people were collecting unemployment. So they were not able to pump out as efficiently as they could before. And now they have a huge backlog and basically the mills set the price. The loggers aren't making money off of this. Um, because they are selling to the mills at the same price. The mills are setting the price for dimensional lumber because they cannot keep up with the extreme demand. And so, you know, basically what that means is we're paying more to get two by fours, which means you have to pay more. So ultimately it's hurting, hurting the consumer. Um, and yeah, I, also saw, I saw a two by four, my, my son, we were kind of talking about it. My son's 17 and we we're kind of talking about building where I was telling him how I was about to have you on the podcast. And he goes, well, dad, how much is a two by four? Yeah. I said, you know what, bud? I have no idea. I said, yeah. you know, when we did our, you know, such and such, I've done additions here at the house and, you know, closed in rooms. I said, I don't know, like dollar 78 or two by four by eight. Right. And he goes, Oh, let's look on, you know, homedepot.com and see how much it was. And it was like seven ninety seven for a two by four. And I'm yeah. like, I, I, I was like, wait, I know I paid less than $2 or two by four. I mean, that's a four X. Is that just a, a temporary, like, are we going to go back to normal or is this a something if we're going to, is this, is this the new normal? So the, yeah. The good thing about, you know, not the good thing, but you know, the difference between, you know, say sheetrock steel um, insulation is that we get set price increases from the manufacturers themselves. So someone like USG, United States gypsum, national gypsum, certainty gypsum, they'll come out and say, hey, 20% increase next month. They'll give you a date, they'll give you a number, that's it, you know, after this date, you're paying 20% more. With the lumber market, it's a free market, it's a commodity. So, you, you know, it's being traded on a public scale and, you know, when this price goes up, it fluctuates with the market. So really the numbers, the, you know, you'll hear this number per board foot, it's not to be mistaken with lineal foot, which is typically measured with construction. You know, when I get a, when I get a uh, order, it will be in linear feet, but per board, per, uh, board foot is measured because of, you know, that's how they do their breakdowns with the market. And so, um, yeah, I mean, two by four is right now are over a dollar linear foot, which when I started out, it was 50 cents. Um, and that was pretty, and like, you know, honestly, 50 cents, they'd be like, that's a little high. Can you like go down to like, you know, 42, 44? And I'll be like, all right, yeah, I can go down. It's like, no problem. Because there's really a lot of wiggle room. You know, the numbers would come out every week. They wouldn't really be too far off. It would probably be like, you know, a cent or two more and we'd be able to eat the cost or offset it, or we'd be making more, who knows? But, um, you know, when did you of, see, hey, Jeremy, when did you see it start to bump up? Because you just kind of did a backtrack, right? So we still had a really hot resi market last year. I mean, I'm in Georgia and the Georgia market is insane. Like literally yeah. people are getting three bids a day, they list their house. So there's a huge demand on 
it seems it tends to be happening, you know, a lot. So if you still have resi demand, we had factories slow down. We've got factories with less labor. We have transportation issues. Is that what you're kind of saying? Like we did have some transportation issues, not, 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 not to be compounded by the fact that our colonial pipeline pipeline just got shut down last week, you know, mm -hmm. which is that's another their headquarters are 10, 10 minutes from my house here. Um, so, so we've got all this happening. When did, when did it kind of start to come to a head? Cause like I said, we're in May now, was this happening over, over Christmas or like, when was this really happening? So it's been happening since last year. Okay. When COVID first, Cause like I said, it is, it's a commodity. It's traded on the free market. So it reacts just like the market reacts. Okay. And so we actually had a purchaser. He no longer works with us, but we had a purchaser who was, he used to trade in, in lumber. So he knows the market. He knows what type of things would happen. He was looking at the different, you know, this guy was, this guy was all about lumber. And so when the, when COVID first hit, he sort of anticipated it and bought a ton of pre-cuts, which are used for framing in residential houses and two by fours, two by sixes at January pricing. So we had tens of thousands of pieces of lumber at a tremendous price because as soon as COVID hit and the lockdown started, prices started to go up, wow. up that quickly. Up. Wow. I had no idea it was that quick. He sort of anticipated that. And so we were kind of able to, I won, um, you know, a bunch of jobs. I built three houses, four houses with, uh, you know, two separate contractors just during COVID. You know, obviously they had to shut down for when it was shut down, but once it started back up, they were right back to building it. Okay. And uh, with really little disruption, you know, I didn't have to raise the prices mid, uh, mid job. And, um, you know, it was really kind of stable for us for a while, but then it just did not get better it got All right. so jeremy worse. is it happening so obviously lumber lumber i kind of understand how that impacts by the mill i mean is it kind of just parallel hmm. when it comes to jip and on steel also i mean and then is there a carryover now into the finished goods of flooring yeah. and you know like when did that happen um you know a parallel wouldn't be a good word because the, they have different things affecting them so with you know right now there's a resin shortage which you have to make, um, well, there was a resin, resin shortage, but um, to, in order to make plywood, you take strands of you know, pieces of lumber and press them together with a resin to make the plywood. <clears throat> so during the, I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, it was during that cold front that hit Texas and it was a widespread electrical grid, just disaster. And a lot of their, a lot of petrochemicals come out of Texas. This episode of the Office Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Fusion Advisory. We help commercial contractors generate leads online profitably. Check us out at fusion-advisory.com. And so when those petrochemical plants shut down, huge, again, same thing, backlog in orders, large demand, no supply. So once they got back up to, once they got back up and running, they probably weren't back up and running fully right away and now they have to start feeding this demand and again you know they didn't have enough resin to make the plywood now cdx which is a crap piece of plywood not to say crap but it's like you know when you get to like birch and you know different types of hardwood you know plywood pieces right cdx is like you know you use it to you know walk on like roofers right. use it to walk on it's not really that big of a deal right. it's crap plywood but 
three, three quarter CDX is now over $70 a sheet. And how much was it uh, 18 months ago? 30 something. Wow. All right. I was, so I was it, selling it for 28. All right. So when, all right, Jeremy, I know you're not an uh, applied economist, but you're a pragmatist. You, mm. you know, you're a child of a bartender and a contractor. You've got, you've got a great head on your shoulders. Um, when, get out your crystal ball, when will normalcy, and I'm sure you get asked this a lot, when are we getting back to normalcy? When do you see it kind of coming back to earth? I mean, honestly, I tell, I said, I have this conversation all the time and I, I tell everybody, I said, if I, if I could predict that I would not be working where I'm working, I would be making millions of dollars on wall street right now. So, um, normalcy, I mean, really it all depends on when people can catch up. There has to be some sort of break in demand where these supply, you know, these different supply chains can sort of take a breather because there's so much stress being put on these, you know, petrochemical plants, lumber mills, uh, insulation manufacturers, gypsum manufacturers that, you know, they were hit with like really swift shutdowns. And then they were expected to sort of go back to business as usual, plus 200%. Because it's like, you have so many orders that are backlogged that were still going on during the pandemic and they were shut down. And now maybe half their workforce is out because half of them, they don't want to come back to work. They don't feel safe. They want to collect unemployment. So it's like, no one can blame them. So, um, you know, it's really a matter of when these guys can sort of get a rest. And, you know, with the building industry, the way it is, if demand were to slow down, it would be a really bad knee jerk reaction on the economy as a whole, because then they would see, you know, home building slowing down and they're like, okay, well, people aren't applying for as many mortgages. You know, I'm a big advocate for rocket mortgage. I own a lot of it and uh, they got hammered simply because people stopped applying for at mortgages at a record pace, you know, during a COVID shutdown. So it was really, it's, it's, I mean, they're going to write textbooks on this. I mean, I really do think so. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens over the next, you know, year or so, three years, um, what the after effects are going to be. Yeah, I'm, it's fascinating you you would say that because as a a student of life, that we both are, right? We're both kind of just consummate learners, consummate observers. Yeah. What a fascinating time. I was born in, in 1971, right? A lot, you know, many years ahead of you. I don't know if there's been a more action-packed, you know, 15-month period in my entire life than the last 50. I mean, again, not to get political, we're talking literally about just lumber, steel, and gyp supply yeah. and how it impacts, you know, all these different parts of the country, um, let alone a change in political regimes that are running our country. And it's sort of a... Um, it's a really fascinating time. I, I almost want to have you back on in like six months and let's yeah. kind of do like a, a recap and say like, Hey, what's going on in like, you can be my um, building commodity guy. Hey, Jeremy's back on to give us a quick update. Yeah. What's going on? What's going happy on? Happy to do it. Yeah. Just, definitely. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, you know, even from the beginning, you know, cause it was just one thing after another, you know, not to obviously, like you said, not to get political, but it was just like, it, you know, with my job and what was going on in my business and then going, turning on, you know, CNBC or something like that, like Fox business. And you're just seeing all these things. You're just going, when is it going to stop? Like my head was spinning. And then, you know, 
especially after the last election and everything that happened, I was just like, my kids are going to be in history class and they're going to go, they're going to have history, American history, and then 2020. Well, I know it's crazy. It, like, it's absolutely, it is absolutely fascinating. All right. So let's, again, I'm Jeremy, seriously, let's put it on the schedule for like November of this year. Let's come back and we'll recap. I'm going to, I'm going to record another one. And we're going to talk about sort of commodities and, and, and what's happened and do like a state of the, the uh, state of the state of, of building materials. But let's, let's kind of wind down and talk a little bit about you. Um, tell me if you had to pick your dream infield for the Yankees. Anytime. <laughs> anyway, in our pre-talk, um, Jeremy and I talked a lot about the Yankees. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay, I'm going to give you a, how about if we start out? I'm going to give you one starter. It's game seven. Um, yes, it's against the Braves, um, my Braves, but it's mm. game seven, one starter, any starter in Yankee history, who's going to, who are you going to throw on the mound? On the mound? Yeah. Who's going to be pitching game one? The, uh, game seven. Sorry. The game uh, seven, who's going to start the game? Going to start the game? Yeah. Jeez, man. I don't know. I mean, honestly, just for recency bias, I got to go with my boy, Garrett Cole. He's dealing, baby. Oh. That guy that guy is dealing. He's a bad man. He That's is a awesome. bad man. He just shut down the Rays last night. I love it. That's it was, cool. It was perfect. Uh, well, we know, bias I'm not going to put you on the spot. We know who's closing, right? You you already said you were there for no, years no, last my boy, my boy Mo's closing, but it's like, you know, just, uh, I, I just love the, the state of the Yankees right now. I mean, even though he started off so slow, it's just like, you know, just to have baseball back. I've been to two Yankee games so far. It's like, oh my gosh, just to see him pitch in person. That's cool. After all, the, after all the hype, and you know all the you know people barking at contracts about Mike Stanton, Giancarlo. Sorry. Yeah. I called him Mike when I was mad at him. Yeah. But uh, you know, people saying like, ah, Garrett Cole is not going to be worth it just to see him go out there and just wreck people. Wreck. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So. Uh, What's funny is catcher, I'm kind of going like, I wonder who you're going to pick. You got to pick one catcher in all of Yankee history. Who are you taking? It's a good, uh, it's a tough one. You got, you got Thurman Munson, you got, uh, George Posada, you know, you've got, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely either Posada or, you know, you could even go Girardi, but he's like, you got to win, win. He's like, you know, not like all-star status but just you know just as a him as a manager as well it was just you know kind of in my brain but yeah probably Munson yeah and then we're going to first yeah, which funny. which I might go with uh Donnie baseball at first but you you uh you've got some other choices up yeah. there who are you putting at first I would go yeah I would go, I would go with Mr. Baseball in that yeah. one man. and there's just, a bunch of guys that are probably 70 or 80 listening to this going you know how do you do it without putting you know there's, there's that's the problem like, Exactly. I don't, I don't get into these debates too often just because it's just like, but my friends are avid baseball fans and they are, uh, you know, I have Yankees fans. I got Phillies fans and I got Red Sox fans all in one group chat. And they constantly toss out these uh, questions and I don't really chime in too much because I like to see their answers. Yeah. And it's, you know, there, there's a lot of debate because there's so many people, you know, people don't look at a rod stats because of the juicing thing, but it's like, you know, a rod is a legend guy's a legend and you know Derek Jeter is obviously just an all-time shortstop you know one of the best Yankees to ever live yeah 
And then you got so many people like Mickey Mantle and like that, that kind of, like, they're like, if he played in this year's in this, you know, this type of playground, they're not going to really do well. I'm like, dude, shut up. Yeah. Dude, shut it's like, you dude, know, it's sort of, it's sort of, yeah. It's, yeah it's, it's, there's a lot of baseball debates are baseball debates are more fun to watch than be a part of. Yeah. I, think. I know they, Paper, I mean, I, I, that's why I only asked about the infield because when you get to the outfield for the the Yanks, it gets totally crazy. You know what? We didn't even think about Yogi Berra at catcher. Like, how do you not have Yogi Berra at catcher, right? So that'd be a fun one. We actually, so they did it. Yeah, that my friends did like a top five, and we completely forgot about Yogi, just because there are like there's so many names. Like, I have hold on a second. I have this shirt here. <laughs> uh, sixty one. The whole 1961 and the whole 1903 team. Wow. With names and st- I wore this to opening day. I mean, look, it's just Ford won the Cy Young with a 25 and four record. You know, it's just MVP at all AL MVP. Maris added 142 RBIs and 132 runs to his 61 homers. I mean, yeah, that's pretty solid. It's insane man so it's like you know there's a lot of people there's a lot of people you can name you don't want to forget anybody so yeah and there's also you know lou gehrig joe dimaggio they they didn't suck either they were they were pretty solid pretty i mean pretty solid humans too um hey listen if somebody wanted to get in touch with you jeremy and learn more about you know just sort of like lean on you as a uh as their easy button when it comes to you know building supplies up there in the northeast how would they get in touch with you I would just go on my LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I repost a lot of, uh, you know, I follow a lot of construction communities. I follow a lot of uh, economy communities in the, like the whole. So you can just go look at me up on LinkedIn. It's, I think it's just Jeremy Kovacs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's J-E-R-E-M-Y-K-O-V-A-C-S. All right. Well, we'll and, put it in the, uh, I'll put it in the show notes too, Jeremy. I'll, I'll definitely put it in the yeah, show notes. And really, you're, you're absolutely a blast to talk to. I love your pragmatism, your approach to construction, your, I mean, you're just a walking reality check, man. I really appreciate you taking the time and, uh, and sharing. I'm serious. I want you back on in six months because your sharing of actually what's happening in the industry is going to be really important. And I appreciate you, Jeremy. I appreciate it, man. No, you actually did send me one thing that I wanted to, I thought, I hope you were going to bring up, but it was the foursome. Oh, you want to force them? I was hitting you with the break. I was hitting you with the baseball. Okay. Jeremy, I'm going to give yeah. you, that, all right, it's you and three guys. That was, Who are you going with? Who are you taking? So I actually had two scenarios in my head when I was thinking about it because I wrote it down. I was like, that's actually a great question because I used to answer that question all the time. But it was, uh, I would love to be a part of just have Tiger and MJ and then me and a buddy. Just see those two, just see those two kind of go at it. And then me and my friend just kind of share some beers in the golf cart. Mm-hmm. I mean, we'd, we would end up broke, but it's like, I don't care. That's, I'll bring my whole bank account to watch that. That's an, and if you and by the way, if you could have Phil in there, I mean, I've heard stories about Phil and his um the way he lefty, yeah, you know, lefty, lefty and Tiger, or, you know, and he's he's very competitive and he loves to um he loves to raise the stakes. You know, he is uh, mm-hmm. um he's an absolute rock star, infamous for it too. But uh, MJ and Tiger, I mean, arguably two of the greatest athletes to ever put on their their respective uniforms i mean obviously michael jordan this would just be insane and dude michael you know, jordan he's the greatest great. i mean he's great. you're trying to get tiger to open up his wallet i mean it should be it would be so incredible that's and i also awesome. had one that i'd like to watch 
which would be uh, Lefty and Tiger and uh, George Bush and Donald Trump. That would be hilarious. <laughs> I would just watch that from a card or have it televised or something like that. Yeah. Just both of them and all of those guys in their prime just like kind of going at it. And it'd be hilarious to watch. That would be great theater. I think you're onto something. You know, with the yeah. you know, the the match between Tiger and Phil a couple of years ago got great ratings. I think the match that you're talking about, um George Bush 43 versus Trump 45, I think would be a um a fascinating battle. I think that would be a, um, yeah. it would be good. It would be good theater. I think that would be, it would be very we good. Actually, we can actually, you know, see if Trump does in fact give himself five foot gimmies. Oh no. You yeah. Know, he's he's, he's of... definitely has his eraser out. I'm pretty sure he's got his eraser out on that one, you know? So funny, hey, seriously, Jeremy, thanks again. And um, look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks brother. Well, thanks Mike. Thanks for listening to the Office Marketing Podcast. Be sure to join the conversation on our YouTube channel, LinkedIn, and Facebook pages. If you enjoyed the episode, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.